We hope you enjoy this message from Expression Church of Huntington. Aren't you tired of hearing that the Lord is gonna, the Lord's gonna, the Lord's gonna? I know the Lord's gonna, but I'm telling you right now, guys, the Lord is doing something right now. He is in the midst of an incredible outpouring of His Spirit. We're seeing people saved, we're seeing people set free and delivered, and our responsibility is to be His feet and His hands, His body, as we go out into this world. It never was God's will for earth to take on a, a representation of ourselves and present it to God. God's, he knows who we are, we don't need to tell Him who we are. We don't need to sit down here and try to impress him and say, I tell you what we'll do, let's get earth ready and earth will get ready and then we'll just do see how God, God here we are, we're down here doing this for you. It was never God's will for that. It was always God's will for us to represent God to the earth. Not represent just the earth to him. He kinda already knew the condition it was in. Are you following me? It's the world, empty, void, Hungry, hurting, full of despair, screaming out, crying out. In the book of Genesis, when God saw Sodom and Gomorrah in the shape it's in, most of the church today would say it was an abomination and it needed to be destroyed. The Bible says that God heard the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah. When you see sin and we get disgusted by it, God hears a cry for a void of him. Our job is to fill the void with him to a people that are hurting and crying out for him. They're rebellious in any way. They act out in all kinds of ways. They do what sinners do, they sin. But rather than us get disgusted and maybe turn our nose up at it, perhaps we gotta look at it and say, they need him, they need him. And he's relying on us to get them from us, get him to them. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to see it the way you see it. Help us to act on it the way you desire for us to act on it. Mobilize us, Lord. Energize us and release us with the truth of your word that we're more than words. We see the results and we will see the results that you desire to see in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen, amen, amen. You all can be seated. Thank you. I'm telling you, the Lord is doing incredible things, guys. Amen. It's happening, whether you know it or not. And just because maybe you got dealt a blow or a, a curveball, don't think for one minute the Lord is not in that curveball, right? Caden plays baseball and he, he likes to hit fastballs because he can time it and he kind of knows when the pitch is coming. But every now and then a curveball is good for him. It's a change up and it puts stress and strain on his technique of batting. He would just seem to hit fastballs. But sometimes it's just good to throw a curveball so you can see just what's made, what you're made of. And then you start working on your technique again. 
Every time he gets a curveball pitcher, he'll say, I need to go back to the batting cage and work. Right? We don't have a mass exodus right now. Right? We really have this, um, a mass exodus right now. <laughs> That's all of our teens that are in the midst of a 10-week uh, groups of our middle school, uh, high school girls go one direction, high school guys go another, and our, some of our, our ministers here are pouring into them uh, every week for, for 10 weeks. We're about halfway through that. I think maybe a little past halfway. So if you have teens that are here today, it would be a good opportunity for you to kind of get in that direction because they are, uh, they're seeing the experiences some wonderful things. As Pastor Ronnie was talking about with our little guys on Wednesday, the same type of thing is happening to our teenagers. Just a lot of incredible things that are going on. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53. That last song that was sung here by those, uh, the young girls, the, the, the song was written uh, by them, our student ministries, and um, Kaylee and um, uh, Jemima had written that song. They recorded it. You can get that on iTunes already. And Lakin. Oh, yeah, Lakin. That's my daughter. <laughs> yeah, but they were all working on it. They, worked, they wrote on it a, a, a while back. And we have a mandate here at the church that came to us uh, probably about a month and a half ago at one of our leadership meetings. The Lord spoke, and I really felt strongly that this was from the Lord, that we, we are really good about singing other song, people's songs. There's some great worship music out there and praise music that's out there right now. Um, well, I said that just out of faith. There's, there's some good stuff, but there's some also some just stuff, right? Yeah. And we're not looking just to fill some songs on Sunday morning. We wanna know what the Lord is saying. Right. And we wanna sing the heart of the Lord as we minister to him. Our first ministry is to him. So that night in a leadership meeting, um, I just really felt strongly that the Lord said from now on, every, at least one song um, that's sung on a Sunday morning has to be originated and created here from our people. And from that day on, we have. And it's been about a month and a half, and I think Steph's written a couple of more since then. Um, others have written some as well, so you're gonna be hearing those soon. Uh, she wrote one last week on Zechariah chapter four that I preached on a Wednesday night. And uh, I, shoo, it's just, it's something about just writing scripture, putting music to scripture, you know what I mean? Amen. You don't have to be eloquent in your words, you just gotta be inspired by him. And I've come to the, the realization too that there's no new songs written. God has songs in heaven that you might just be the first person to hear it on the earth. Yeah. Then you can let us in on it. He'll give you credit for writing it, but you know where it came from. That's just how he works, isn't it? And you see, did you remember Peter? Peter was healing people and setting people free and they came over and started worshiping Peter. And Peter said, I'm just a man like you are. Peter, see the people will think it's you, but you're gonna know it's him. Right? That's just the way the Lord does. And we're always managing that tension between the heavenlies and the spirit of the earthly, the spiritual and the natural. We're constantly always managing that. But the Lord is not afraid to give you credit. John chapter 17, he said, I've received your glory, Father. Now I give that glory to them. Yeah. And then we go around saying, Oh, we don't, he, God won't, he won't, we don't get his glory. No, you, you'll get his glory but you'll give him glory by getting his glory. He's not afraid of you. <laughs> He's not intimidated by you. He don't, he, don't, he don't worry if you get too big for your britches. You still won't be bigger than him. Is that okay? You're gonna have to get a little bigger because we've been abdicating our responsibility on him. He's been going, come on guys, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for you to do what you gotta do. The world is hurting. 
And we're in a season of alignment and order and release, equipping and doing what God has called us to do. Now, I've come to realization of something, and I'm gonna share this with you before I read Isaiah 53. I've come to realization over the course of time, about five years ago I said this, and I'll say it again today. I, I have not found, and I even went back and researched it this past week, about five years ago I said this, when we were, I think we were at 18th Street, four years ago. I have not found one sin that the church has boycotted, resisted, protested, spoke against, that changed. Not one. I've not found one that we hate and we speak against it, protest against it, stand against it, write against it, proclaim against it, that changed it. They've been fighting homosexuality for decades and guess what? It's not gone away. Right? Stand against pornography and stand against it, but it hadn't really necessarily gone away. Racism, we protested and protested, but guess what? It hasn't gone away. You're not gonna protest yourself or detest yourself against a sin that's gonna make sin, that sin go away. There's only one way to eradicate it. We gotta go to the root beyond what the fruit that we see. And at the root, we've gotta get truth, grace and truth into people's lives that the spiritual climate around them begins to change. And the spirituality of the grace and mercy and the goodness of God draws them in to where those things are not appealing to them like they once were. I got news for you, in, in, in areas and cities, there's principalities that, that hover over top of regions. Poverty, racism, bitterness, hatred, division, all those things are in cities and the principalities come and sit up on top of those things. And spiritually, they oversee it and they, what they do is they, they help, if they can change the way we think or keep us thinking a certain way, they can keep us locked in a certain lifestyle, right? And we've, over the last several decades, we have settled into ways of thinking and where the church in our good-meaning, well-meaning ways have come in and hit on it, but because we haven't understood order and we haven't understood exactly how to transfer it into generation to generation, we've locked it in for a season, but then we lose it because it outlasts us. Because we start trying to, for some reason, building our own kingdom, and we begin building our own kingdom, our own castles, we end up pushing away the truth that God gives us for that generation of people. It just gets lost in the, in the, in the so Division starts happening, offenses start happening, people fall away, and before you know it, it's just, it's just out of control. But this time I think it's gonna be different. The reason I think it's gonna be different is because I feel like the Lord is bringing a prophetic and apostolic release not as a denomination, but as a way of life for the believers. Yeah. And for the, for the first time, and I think it really started shifting when Billy Graham, and I said this last week, Billy Graham passed away, because we've always looked for the next person to replace the person that passes away, rather than catch the spirit of the evangelism, of the evangelist, we just see who's gonna raise up next since Billy Graham passed away. And we go, oh God, who's the next Billy Graham? Well, guess what, it's not gonna fall on a person, it's gonna fall on a people. The same way when Jesus ascended to heaven, the spirit of Christ should have fallen and it did fall on people. It didn't fall on a person and that person became the new icon that replaced Jesus when he passed away. It became on a people. And the, what's happening in the days that we're living is there is a, a transference 
of the people that have passed on and the people of God today through apostolic and prophetic insight is raising up and beginning to declare a truth and a message that's for today. And you have gone through many things in your life over the last decade of time, and the things that you have gone through, whether they be in hurts, pains, ups and downs, things that you caused, things you didn't cause, it doesn't really matter at this point, because God has ordered your steps to be right in the right place at the right time, living in the right year, in the right season, and releasing a now word that you have in your heart already. You may not know it's already there, but it's there. And what we have to be careful of is to go back and as God releases this to the body of Christ through a fresh revealing revelation of understanding that we're now ready for, we have to be careful that we don't go back and try to make this freshness fit into an old paradigm or an old wineskin that we once knew that really was some glory days. We don't wanna go back and redo the 80s and 90s no matter how good they were. We don't wanna go back and do the 50s and 60s no matter how good they were. This word, this people, have got to come together for a release that's going to knock out principalities of regions. We're talking about in the day of Pentecost, there was 3,000 people were saved in one day, the next message, 5,000 people were saved. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Those aren't gonna fit in small churches. So the current church structure and current church paradigm has got to change than trying to fit them all in one building and getting them in a discipleship class. It's going to break out into neighborhoods, break out into cities, to where it's going to, the, the, the pour out of the, the Spirit of God and the pouring of the Spirit of God on the people is going to break and stress and strain the current structure of what we know church to be today. Are you following me? What are you gonna do? Like our little kids went this past Wednesday night and was ministering to people in the street, in restaurants, and they come back to me and they were, they're not afraid. Can I just tell you this? They're not as insecure as the older generation. You're, the older generation is looking at herself thinking we don't wanna look foolish. They don't know not to look foolish, right? We've already been embarrassed and humiliated, so we don't wanna go down that track because we know that feeling of, oh gosh. That's why we push our kids up here on the platform. No, you're gonna be up front. You're gonna be uncomfortable and you're gonna squirm. And you might feel a little weird at times. And you might squeak a bad note. But we're not gonna sit out here and evaluate you critically to where you feel like you gotta shut down because you can't measure up to us. Because you're not singing to us, you're singing to him. You're not acting to us, you're acting to him. Right? And we gotta come up out of that thing because I'm concerned and I feel the, 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 the tension, the pressure from outside. I feel the pressure of something I'm seeing here and I'm seeing in the days that we're living in, and I feel the pressure from people that have great influence and great persuasion and great insight. But I, I resist recreating something that only lasted a decade. I'm interested in creating something that lasts a generation and beyond. Long after we live. This building is not a building so we can say we have a nice building to do what we've done always in the last 20 years. This building should be an equipping center and a release apostolically and prophetically that every young kid, every adult that comes in here learns how to prophesy. Yes. I didn't say they were prophets, even though some will be. But they learn how to hear the voice of the Lord and foretell it. What I see is I'm like, I feel like that prophet 
that was on, in the Old Testament when he came out and he's standing there and he's looking at all, and he's, the guy that's with him, he's looking at him and he, he says, my God, look at all these people are against us. Because if you can look at the city, you can look at Huntington, you can look at the region, you can look at the city, the, the tri-state. Look at the nation. And it's easy to look at it, observe the landscape of society and life and go, oh my God, it's out of control. It's crazy. There's people dying. There's people losing their minds. I've never seen it like it. It's easy to look at that and study that, make observation, and, and be telling the truth of what you see. But there was a prophet that came alongside of that guy and said, listen, let me open up your eyes. And when you open up your eyes, what he saw was angelic hosts that were around him. And he said, hey, I see what you're seeing, but what you don't see is that there are more that are for us than there are against us. And I wanna declare a word today in this season that we're in is there's more for us than there are against us. There's nothing in this city, in this region, in your home, in your life that can withstand the goodness of God. And I feel like strongly that the Lord has paid an incredible price on that cross and we haven't given him his reward because we get stuck in our own traditions, in our own ways, our own insecurities and our own frailties. And we, and we got this thing like, this is the way it's supposed to be. And when God does something different than we think it's the way it's supposed to be, we don't know how to respond. I'm learning. I don't have it all figured out. I've learned that I thought I had it figured out 10 years ago and things have happened in the last 10 years that proved to me I didn't have to figure it out back then. The Lord works and the Lord moves. And I'd like to tell you that put on the mind of Christ, but his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. And the Lord does things that will blow your mind. And because we've tried to figure it out and we try to fit into this little mess that, that we created for ourselves, the little church structure of what we think it should be, it's been a good thing, but it's going to be different from here on out. God's doing a, a new release of his word and his truth. He's raising up a people. And here's what I firmly believe, and I've said this before. I was born in the 60s, middle 60s, 66. Some of you were born before me and after me. You all figure that out amongst yourself, all right? But I was born into a society and a culture that I was subject to. In 66, I had no power to change anything in 66. I was a baby, right? I, was, I had no power to change it, and the 60s happened, and the 70s happened, and the 80s happened, and I don't like where this is going, because I keep going 90s. Now I gotta go to the 2000s. Now I'm 2010, I'm ready to go 2020. That's a lot of years. I'm still young, but it's a lot of years. And what's happened over the course of time, now I've received an age, or came to an age, come to an age of, of, of somewhat of maturity, <laughs> and a place where now I'm in decision-making leadership ability, and I'm revisiting some of those things that we didn't change in the 60s and the 70s are now in front of us today. Amen. It was a drug culture in the 60s, there's a drug culture today. More sophisticated, there was a religious culture in the 60s, there was a Jesus movement, there was all kinds of things that were happening, there was a flower child, there was all these things, free love, all, all, here we are today. And we're moving into 2020 in that decade, and we're gonna be moving right in, and you can almost look at the 70s and see we're gonna relive some of those 70s. And now, the people that were born in the 60s and the 50s and the 70s are in adulthood, 
And now we were born back then where we couldn't change it because we were subject to it. Now we're gonna be revisiting it and be in a position of leadership to change the very thing that you were born in. If you don't think that's a pattern of the Bible, Jesus was born under the law, but 30 years later he became a leader to deal with the law. That's a pattern for you and me. Now you are an adult. You have children or children's children or grandchildren and you are in a position of leadership in your role of society and life. I don't care whether you're in the nursing or medical community, whether you're in education, whether you're in technology, whether you're in uh, home, domestic things at home, uh, church leadership, it doesn't matter. You're in a position of influence of the culture. And it's gonna require two things from us. It's gonna require you to become apostolic and prophetic in your nature. What am I saying? It's ain't no time for passivity. I've never seen, I've never heard so much doubt and unbelief in all my life. A culture, a society of, of, of doubt. All you hear is doubt. I doubt God's gone. I hope God does, but I don't know that God's gone. Where is the faith of the believers of today that believe that we're gonna win this thing and not be subject to his, the enemy's devices? Right. <coughs> I'm not talking about a pep talk. I'm talking about motivational speaking. I'm talking about some revelation. I was fortunate to sit, in, in when I was a kid, under some incredible preaching that I did not appreciate. <laughs> Just to be honest with you. When I was a kid, I used to sit underneath the pews and I sit under some apostolic and Pentecostal and, and some incredible people that preached revelation straight from the Bible. And the words that were written in songs were from the scriptures, were from the Bible, right? They weren't just inspirational to help us cope and get through our problems. They were about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet that lamented. They were about Isaiah that was able to see, I see the Lord high and lifted up and his crane filled the temple. I see, not about how you're gonna make it through the next two weeks. So we've turned our music into that. We turned our messages into life application, how we can deal with life, and we need to deal with life. But somebody has got to come forward with a revelation from the throne of God that's not new, that's fresh, that mobilizes a, a group of people, of believers on the earth today that unlocks something that your heart is already reaching for. You're leaning into it already. It's not a matter of just seeing a display here at church. You need to be a display at your house. And if you don't prophesy at home, you're not gonna prophesy here. If you're not gonna be apostolic or prophetic at your, in your work, it's not gonna, we can't create a platform for you to use your gift when your gift's supposed to make room for itself. Uh-oh. I probably need to read a scripture. It won't be official if I don't. Isaiah 53. Who has believed a report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when, he was, when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised. This sounds like an Easter message, doesn't it? He is despised and rejected by men 
a man of sorrows. We know who we're talking about here, don't we? And acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded. Here's here's where we kick in. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. I could stop right there, but I won't. Because all we were like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a, as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears, its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in the land, in his land. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, by righteous servants shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And verse 12 says this, therefore I will divide him a portion within the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul. Isaiah 53 says it all. Now let me ask you something. Do you think for one minute God would have had his son Christ Jesus go through this and look down over the landscape of society 2,000 years later and look and see a people that looks like they're wandering, like vagabonds, trying to figure out life. If he paid the price, and we can break that down every, and I've done it several times, and I'll do it again this year, probably later on. We could break down that scripture. He paid an incredible price. Do you think not Jesus deserves the rewards from all that suffering? There's no way, there's no way, the enemy, the devil, can stop an aggressive, revelatory, prophetic, faith-filled body of believers. There's no way. And I wanna blow a trumpet in here this morning 
we gotta turn the doubt into faith. It's not that hard. It's a simple argument. We gotta turn the doubt into faith. Whose report are you gonna believe? It can't be, it can't be an inciting chant that mo- motiva- motivates a bunch of believers that don't have the revelation of the truth of him in that scripture. Otherwise, you'll run right into it with inspiration and you'll run right into challenges of life with inspiration and you'll only to find yourself coming up empty. And then you, when, 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 you, when something don't, listen, I don't, have, I don't know that I'll see everybody healed, but I'm not gonna come into agreement with somebody that doesn't. I got, a, I, got, I, got a belief, I got a lady right now, she's probably watching my internet that called me this past week and she got an incredibly bad report, horrible report. In fact, it was so bad it shook her to her core. And this woman is probably more faith-filled than anybody that I know. And it shook her to the core. Because why? We have more losses with that report than we have victories with somebody that had that report. And reason being is because over our cities, over our region, over our nation, over the world, is this principality that guards that God don't heal all the time. So any word that goes different that God doesn't heal every time. So what what we really have, we have to resolve this because in Isaiah 53, then must say, if we're gonna line up with the principalities that are over us, we have to change 53. We have to say, by his stripes, some are healed. But it does not say that. It says, by his stripes, we are healed. Second Peter says, we were healed by the power on the cross. So nothing else has to happen for that scripture to be fulfilled other than us somehow have to line up with faith, even though we can't explain it. Our default can't be, it might. Our default has to turn into it will. Either he gets what he paid for or he doesn't. Are you okay? And and I'm coming to the conclusion. That's just the part with healing. But but here's the thing. In our good intentions, I am, listen, I'm not, I'm I'm, I'm anti-divorce. I'm not for divorce, right? I'm just not, all right? But I've come to realize something over the last two decades of ministry. Sometimes I'm holding on to something to try to help protect a reputation while two people are walking together that should not be together. Oh man, I'm gonna get in trouble over this. I can see it already. No, no, because we do it more for the protection of the church reputation than what God is doing in their life. Because we believe God can change a situation but what we want people to do is endure it for the next 30 years in case he does. So they're in abusive situations, they're in bad situations, and somehow God overtrumps our stupidity and our ignorance, and somehow it all turns out, and now 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later, I'm seeing people that I'm thinking, there's no way that fits in the theology that I preached 20 years ago. But God, because he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, not on me, on him. And the problem that we're having in the church today, 
This is our issue, guys, at the core, at the root. We have lost the joy of his salvation. Because we don't have the joy of his salvation, we're looking for everything we possibly can to medicate on the lack of the joy. We'll medicate on, it's easy to call out the world, they'll medicate on drugs, alcohol, uh, other women and other men, um, um, gender issues, we can call them out. But some of us can medicate on religion. And we do it in our self-righteousness, not even meaning to. And we begin to put stuff on people that they can't live up to. And they carry it around for as long as they possibly can. And finally they break or bend so far that they can't know what to do and then they move out. And they go, God, I can't, I gotta get a breath, I gotta get a breath. So they go out to the world so they can breathe. Oh, I'm preaching today whether you like it or not. And they go out here to the world to breathe when really what they're looking for from the church is not the rules, it's the encounter of who he is through relationship. So he's raising up a people, a prophetic, apostolic, aggressive faith. I'm not talking about faithful. I'm talking about faith-filled people that believe that God can do anything. I'm believing God for miracles. I got news for you. They're better debaters out there than we are. So if all we have is an argument, the challenge is though, the trophies that we wanna show to demonstrate our success as a representation of God are sometimes not the trophies that you wanna show. We'd rather have somebody that was sick, they come here and got healed, we go, God healed him. What we don't say is about the two that went through the mess in their messy divorce or their messy situation of life, or their kids rebelled and went crazy on them, and then they come in and somehow God turned it all around, and it took years to do, and God took a child down a dark path to get where they were going, and we would have said, no, God didn't do that, but somehow God was in it because God took them down that path to save their life in the end. And I don't know how it works, but who am I to stay what God God is doing? So we won't put that trophy out here because that, we can't explain it. Your best trophy and testimony is what you can explain, not what you can't explain. What gives God more glory is what you can't say than what you do say. It's gotta be more than words. Hey, what made me who I am today, my greatest testimony, I sit under some incredible leaders as a kid, and I don't even know what they said other than the fact that I still have their tapes. I go back and listen to them now. But what made me today was the pain and the hurt that I went through as a young adult that got me down to my core. And I was able to see God, Isaiah 50 through, in my core in pain, not so much just because everything was good. The message that people don't go through stuff and don't suffer in the church is not true. The first time somebody goes up against something that they can't explain that doesn't fit with the theology of the normal church, we, there's no explanation, so it causes them to fall away. No. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. He, he, listen, he will cause things to happen in your life that you can't even, there's no way you could sit down and map it out. 
He's moving. Don't think he's not. He's raising it up. He's raising you up. In the midst of your storm, he's raising you up. In the midst of your circumstance, he's raising you up. He's teaching you how to prophesy. He's teaching you how to hear his voice. We've got a very aggressive enemy and the church can't be passive with a very aggressive enemy. And the, the more aggressive we get, the more we take on those principalities, the more we hit them through intercession, through prophetic, through apostolic order and alignment. And I'm not talking about denominations. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about taking stuff head. If you're, the, if you're the man in your house, you set the order. If your man won't set the house because he's not the man of the house spiritually, then ma'am, set the order. For me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Amen. Right? For, for me and my house, I'm, she don't wanna tithe, but I wanna tithe. Don't make her tithe. She's not in agreement, you tithe. Amen. Yes. Don't put her up underneath your convictions. That's not being weak, that's setting order. Yeah. And the more you lean into order, the more God begins to move spiritually in the whole situation. Hmm. For me and my house, we're gonna believe in healing. Right? But just because I get a headache and I have to take two ibuprofen for my headache doesn't mean God doesn't heal. Right? Just because I have, there's a spot on somebody's lungs and they've gotta go through the, the biopsy and go through the treatment and go through the, that doesn't mean God's not a healer. Right? 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 But it does mean this, one of two things have to happen. She either gets healed through that or she gets healed through him. Either way, by his stripes, she's got to be healed. And, and if somehow we get an end result that doesn't line up with what we think that 53, that does not give us permission to let God off the hook and give him his reward. Because the minute I start siding with doubt, I feed into the principality of doubt, and the principality of doubt gives me poverty, or poverty gives me sickness, gives me disease, gives me division, it gives me everything that goes with that because he's setting over top of a region, smothering the life out of us. That we do not have any joy in our life. Oh, come on, somebody. I feel this. By his stripes we are healed. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. Now let's knock out two things real quick before we pray for some people today. Number one, your life don't have to be exactly perfect for you to qualify for that 53. Okay? If you're evaluating and measuring it, more power to you. I'm measuring 53 while you measure yourself. And I'm not really looking for you to have the faith to have that 53, because I have the faith for 53. Right. 
And for everything you find about yourself that disqualifies you, I'm gonna find something about him that qualifies you. Are we okay? Because I know you'd like to think that you're that powerful, but it really isn't about, you're, you're, you're just not that good to stop 53. You're just not that bad either to stop it. In fact, it, you're just not, it's not about you. Amen. Lord told me one time I was praying, just recently, and uh, I was praying and I said, God, we need this to happen. This has got, this has got to happen, because it's the will of the Lord. We had five or six prophetic people come and say, this is the word of the Lord, and I believed it, and I was proclaiming it, and I said, God, this has got to happen. And, I, and finally, I was sitting one day, nothing was happening. It wasn't happening like I thought it was gonna happen. And I said, dear God. So I started reminding myself with the help of the enemy of all the things that are wrong that I need to fix that might help me qualify for that prophetic word to come to pass. Are you, are you, are you following me? So I got me a list in my head. I started even jotting them down. I said, I gotta get this right, I gotta get that right, I gotta get this right, I gotta get that right. Oh gosh, so we gotta do this. And then God is gonna move. And the Lord spoke so clearly to me in prayer. I said, Lord, I repent these things. I'm gonna get these in line. This has to happen. And the Lord quickly said to me, just who do you think you are? Who, 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 really, who, who do you think you are? You, do you think you can hold me back? Mm-mm. I just, show, and I tell you, this doesn't go with, this does not go with traditional teaching. Doesn't go with my teaching sometimes. I pushed it back and I said, well then Lord, then do it. He said, if you'll do the last thing I told you to do, I'll do it. None of those things were the issue my passivity on the last thing he told me to do was the issue. Me weighing it out, me hesitating, thinking I don't wanna impose or, mm -mm. When he gives you a word, you get aggressive about that word. And when the more aggressive you become about that word, the more aggressive the enemy comes to you and tells you why that word won't work. And whose report are you gonna believe? Now this thing is all wrapped up in him. It's all about him. But he makes it about you. And I appreciate that about him, that he makes it about us. And I'm coming, and I'm coming into realization that there is coming and is now a move of God on the fringe, we're on the threshold of this thing, that God is moving and aligning people up together for the greatest outpouring the world has ever seen. Where the worship, where the word, where the family, where the unit, where the apostolic prophetic order of the house and, and the body of Christ is coming up, where we're in line and we're gonna have the maturity to know a proper assessment of what we are and who we are and what we're not. I used to think, you people always used to, always to tell me all the time, humility was just, you know, really cowering down. And Humility is having a proper assessment of what the situation and who you are. Don't think more highly than you ought to, a preacher told me one time. But another preacher told me, but you better think of yourself what you are. Right. 
Man, you're, you're the apple of his eye, the affection of his heart that motivated him to come in the, in the robe of flesh to die on a cross, to take, ev- not just to die to give us sins forgiven, but to have your body healed, your mind at peace. Generational things broken off your life and off your kid's life so they don't have to go forward chasing after and running from the things that we've run from. Now that motivation of love, and we've come through an incredible decade of the message of love and grace. And man, I am a proponent of that because it's a foundation and a pillar of what we're all about. But man, love and grace are not passive words. They're the most aggressive words that you'll ever find. Let me pray. Just stay where you are. Father, I just scratched the surface of this today. I just heard the Lord say, with a smile on his face, just tell him greater things. Don't know what I mean. Greater things. We'll do greater things. tell you what I'm here. Greater things this generation will do. You should tell them that they're used to revivals that only last for maybe days, weeks, months, even some even lasted a few years. He said, but introduce them to a term called generational revival. And you begin to proclaim generational revival with the generation that's in the earth today. This generation that's on the earth today will see greater things. This generation on the earth today will have greater compassion and greater love. This generation today 
will be an Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three-stranded cord that won't be easily broken. It'll be three generations wrapped up in one generation. Because I put in the children an ear to hear what the current, fresh, revealing word of the Lord is today. He said, I'm gonna go ahead and begin to pour out my spirit in a measure that's going to not be able to be explained. He said, I'm gonna to begin to heal people's bodies and minds just because of an atmosphere that's changed. They'll be healed and you won't even have to call it out because the atmosphere will change. He said, tell them to displace the doubt over their homes and their neighborhoods and their cities and their regions, their states, the nation, and the world. Displace the doubt for a house and an atmosphere and an environment of faith. He said, I told you, when I return, will I find faith? I found a people, he says. So tell them they're been too hard on themselves. You beat yourself up. You take the bait from the enemy and you get down on yourself and you know all your weaknesses and he just keeps pointing them out. But in those weaknesses, is where my strength is made perfect. and see that the Lord is good. Remind him, he said, that I'm not angry. I'm not frustrated. I'm not aggravated. I'm not tossing and turning. He said, the vials are full of the prayers of the saints of previous generations. And tell them they get the privilege of living in a generation where things begin to turn.
He said, as is the day is in Moses when the fire by night and the cloud by day was in front of him. He said, so has the shifting already taken place for you as it shifted from front to back to separate them from their enemy. I have now separated your enemy. I'm in between. You've been looking for me to guide you and I'm telling you just to go because I'm already guiding you. But I've got your back. And as surely as Pharaoh was seen no more on the day that he drowned in the sea, your enemy was drowned also on Golgotha. And the only power that he has to stop you from moving what God wants you to move and be what God's called you to be is the power that you give him by listening to all of his lies. But he has no power to stop what God is doing. And this generation won't have to wait till the end of time to say and look and see, this is the man that deceived the nations because this thief has already been found out. And I'm raising up you to declare, to trumpet, proclaim, and to do the kingdom of God in this earth right now. I'm gonna accelerate moments that once took long, long time, it's gonna happen in moments. And everything that you've stumbled over over the past uh, will be a springboard for your future. Everything that you've ever been healed of, you now have the power to pray that healing into somebody else. No time to be passive or laid back. It's a time to be aggressive and go and do what he's called us to do. If you'll believe that, the Lord says, greater things, generational revival, and the world will begin to see the power of our King. Isaiah 53 will not be a dream, it'll become a reality. It won't be a concept or theology. It'll become truth and life. The world is waiting on it. So Father, we receive your word here today. We thank you. We bless you. And we know as we walk out of these doors today, what awaits us is the greatest opportunity encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ that this world has ever seen in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. I will see you all Wednesday night.